On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be pitting two films against one another in our first Versus episode, 1983's Superman 3 versus Superman 4, The Quest for Peace from 1987. Joining us for debate is Scott Mendelson from Forbes. I hope you don't expect me to save you, because I don't do that anymore. The dude of steel. Where are you going to get it? Welcome to another episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. I'm Brandon, and as always with me is your dude of steel co-hoster, Cullen. I'm so sorry, Christopher Reeves. I'm so sorry. Cult Cinema Cavalcade is a bi-weekly movie podcast that finds Cullen and myself discussing a film, or in today's case, films, from cinema's past considered, but not limited, to being a cult classic. As a disclaimer, every episode will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language, like Nuclear Man. Today we're discussing both Superman 3 and Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, as we pit them against each other in our first spoiler special versus episode we'll talk more on that in a moment but first thank you for returning to cult cinema cavalcade or checking us out for the first time our episodes drop every other monday which you can check out on our website cultcinemacavalcade.com or subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a five-star rating gary we have facebook and twitter pages that make your life better by liking and following them we also like want to hear from you in our email which is mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com you said it all jack got it right there today brings a monumental day to cult cinema cavalcade and of course i'm talking about our guests so let's bring him in without further ado from forbes we have scott mendelson thank you for having me it's a pleasure to be here scott Scott, you can find every day on Forbes with hitting the the crucial box office analysis and breakdown and some great uh, film criticism to go on top of that, as well as, you know, popular think pieces. Indeed. What is that? Um, On to the the episode's content. Started Cult Cinema Cavalcade versus episodes were definitely a thing we wanted to do. And since we have Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice coming out just a few days before this podcast it's high time to unveil our special episode and since this is cult cinema cavalcade it's definitely not going to be which is the best of the best but the best of the bottom uh consensus would tell you possibly that superman (coughs) 4 are probably the least liked movies of the series before we go on to them i want to mention that supergirl is in the canon but in my opinion, I get more joy out of watching Supergirl than both these movies because it's kind of this unintentional riot. And I do get kind of upset that they never include it in the box sets. And when it's it's got Jimmy Olsen it's, and pictures of Christopher Reeve in there. <laughs> no, it's interesting. It's, uh, Helen Slater's very good. Peter O'Toole is, you know, limited screen time, but he's good. Ironically, it's ahead of its time in that... 
the hero story is fine. It just is sidetracked by hardcore camp of the two villains bickering the entire time, which is something that we would see in a lot of later comic book sequels, you know, about 10 years after the fact. It is yes. a wonderful dialogue like, zip, zap, I'm gone. Yes. <laughs> That's all I remember about that movie. Is zip, zap, I'm gone, and apparently some guy is hypnotized at some point by a witch. Hart That's Bachner. about all I remember about it. Die, Hard, Die yeah. Hard's Hart Bachner. Which is one of the rare occasions where you'll see not only a female-centric you know, comic book movie of that nature, but the male lead completely playing the damsel in distress. I'll give it credit for that and not yeah. much else. No, I, no, I, mean, it's, I, it's, I, I did a retrospective on the entire series uh, when Man of Steel came out years ago, and I found myself having a good old time with the movie, laughing at it and just enjoying its craziness. I mean, she fights, what, an invisible dragon at the end? Yes. Yeah. I'm sure you laughed. Entertainment. I'm sure you laughed more at Supergirl than you did Superman three. Yes. Which is kind of a comedy, I guess. Well, let's get into Superman three <laughs> for a versus episode. We're not going over these movies top to bottom like we do normally every week. We're just going to have general talk of the merits and demerits of each of these. So, starting with Superman three. It's directed by Richard Lester, starring Christopher Reeve, Richard Pryor, Annette O'Toole, Robert Vaughn, Annie Ross, Mark McClure, Pamela Stevenson, and Margot Kidder shows up for a bit. This one has Clark Kent returning to his hometown of Smallville for a class reunion as a diabolical businessman tries to kill Superman and control the weather. That's... You would buy your weather from me! That streamline (laughs) of the randomness that happens in the film. Yeah, that's the most coherent description I've ever heard of Superman 3. Congratulations. <laughs> Did anybody feel that this is some Richard Pryor script laying around that they're like, you know, why don't we just add Superman to this? Mm, I, I, no. <laughs> it, it, this is, just because to me it always felt, and I, I don't know for sure, I could look it up, but what would the fun of that be? That, you know, they, the Sauklands thought, hey, we need a movie star. Let's bring Richard Pryor, you know, Superman, Richard Pryor, a winning combo. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely, there's a, I, I didn't mean that seriously, but this is a very oh, I know, I know. Pryor movie. Yeah. But the Salkinds got, look at the story of the first Superman film, which ended up being two movies. They were a disaster that actually made magic happen because they just didn't know anything about movies. They're like, oh, yeah, I'll, uh, get Marlon Brando, uh, get Mario <laughs> Puzo, like all these things that just were throwing whatever together not realizing whether the right for their parts worked and here they go again thinking they're top of the world and they're like oh richard pryor pop him in here and no i mean this is kind of where they you know fell on their face well i think part of it is for better or worse because of the bat of the outcry over what happened on superman 2 you know they didn't have gene hackman they didn't you know they basically blackballed margot kidder the only reason you know reeve came back as allegedly just he was under contract yeah well Kidder and he was, was not he was not too but she fought and kicked and screamed and they gave her the littlest part yeah so and you could tell the the vaughn character is supposed to be lex luther oh yeah well, it, ironically more of a post-crisis lex luther that predates the post-crisis you know the crisis on infinite earth's version of lex luther by about three years yeah he's yeah where he's a, like a businessman finally yeah yeah this is basically what people think of as lex luther yeah more so than oh, when they yeah. go back to the original Superman, be like, huh, that's kind of not like... They don't realize that Super- Lex Luthor was that back in the day. Um, well, my first exposure to post-crisis Luthor, because I just started reading the comics till I was around 13, 14, was Lois and Clark. 
You know, I watched the pilot episode for Lois and Clark, and you have John Shee as Lex Luthor as this corporate tycoon. And, you know, it didn't, like, shock my conscience or anything. I was like, oh, this is new. Fair enough. Moving on. And, it, you know, it was a wonderful pilot. The whole first season, that show is fantastic. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that, that's a whole other podcast. It just, it's, you know, the reason that I, I bring that up is, as, you know, me, 13 years old, you know, so I see something that's completely, you know, not my Lex Luthor, but I didn't care. And I'm sure most people back then didn't care. Today, I imagine you would have internet outcry over it. Right. No, the, the film is sort of a hodgepodge of random almost ideas. Let's do a Richard Pryor comedy. Let's do a Superman sequel that, you know, if we had the money, we'd throw Brainiac in, but we really don't. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's one of the things that really bothers me, that they could have had Brainiac in this thing. And I didn't realize that's kind of what the uh, computer at the end was kind of supposed to be. Yes. I didn't I didn't realize that for years. Yeah. And then someone told me that I was like, "Oh, really? Well, they were way off because that's uh-huh. nothing like well, Brainiac." The movie the movie randomly kind of has like maybe Brainiac and then maybe Bizarro in the same Yes, the same yes. Film. Yeah. Yeah. But let's um, let, Drunk Superman's a highlight of this movie, right? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. By default. It gets creepy. It, 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 it's it's just weird. Christopher Reeve <laughs> is in an odd position that you don't really see him in, and it it's it, it helps funny. because <laughs> it it helps because Superman is actually in the movie at that point, right? Because there are giant swaths of this film where Superman just isn't around. You, you don't you don't need to be you don't have to have the main character on the screen all the time, but it's called Superman. He should be in it a good amount of the time. Right. And you can tell, you can truly tell during these moments that this is a Richard Lester film. Like you get that British humor where, you know, moving the leaning tower of Pisa straight up, like, come on. Well, the opening (laughs) sequence, which I admire in its execution, regardless of how enjoyable it is, is a very Keystone Cops type moment. Again, I don't particularly enjoy the opening credit sequence, but I, you know, it's interesting. It's something you're never going to see in a comic book film anywhere else. But the other Superman movies, they start <laughs> with something like majestic or oh, yeah. inspiring, and this one is just the, the the idiots of Metropolis almost killing themselves over and over again, and then there's As Superman. Real criminals get away. <laughs> yeah, uh-uh. and then there's just you know, you know, Clark Kent walking around like, oh boy, Metropolis, right? Like, fuck you, oh. movie. <laughs> well, I think yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I think Superman 3, that, that scene epitomizes the film, which is that Superman 3 is the kind of movie everybody probably thought they were getting in 1978. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, when you think, oh, it's Superman, it's based on a comic strip. It's, you know, that 1955 George Reeves TV show. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, we're going to spend a little bit of money on it this time. And, you know, you you... Superman 3 is basically what we probably would have gotten had Tom Mankiewicz and Richard Donner basically not, you know, basically thrown a coup, for lack of a better word, just taken over the movie. Um, would have started I, it in an unemployment office. That inspiring. <laughs> well, you got to remember the... Start a movie. This was during... A, you know, the, ori- the original uh, Superman script had a scene where he flies down to Telly Savalas, who, you know, throws off the Kojak tagline yep. just for no particular reason. Yes. The original Superman script, even the one by Mario Puzo, who wrote The Godfather, if what that's worth, was very campy. And it was only because Tom Mankiewicz and Richard Donner, you know, basically said, no, no, we're, you know, going to give this the reverence it deserves, that Superman the movie exists in its current form. There's a little bit more camp in Superman 2, the theatrical cut, which, of course, was a push-pull between Donner and, Le- and Richard Lester. 
And this one, of course, is full Richard Lester. Mm -hmm. And Richard Lester is good at what Richard Lester does. I mean, his Three Musketeers movies are not dark and gritty. You know, they don't have to be. That's not what they want to be. And my issue with this film isn't the camp tone. It's that it's just not a very good movie. Yeah. And there's about it's, just, it's it's a movie that's got a lot of bullshit in it, and yes. it doesn't know what it's doing. You could cut forty to forty five minutes out of this movie and have the same story. There's just yes. it's just random. And it would make as much it would make as much sense. That's how much fat is in this movie, yeah, and it's really unfortunate. It's kind of like what are we doing now? Oh, we'll do this, and then because we'll, at at one point you know you have Gus Gorman. We're just sitting around trying to find a job, and he miraculously becomes a computer hacker. Who has no knowledge of how to use a computer at all, by the way, which is just <laughs> maddening that there's this person that is apparently a computer genius that's never touched right. a computer in his life. Well, this apparently is what... all... Well, this is one of those old movies where we don't know much about computers, neither do the filmmakers, and everybody thinks they're bad and awful things. And they're magic. Come. And they're magic, yeah. yes. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. Where computers can apparently control satellites that will create the weather. Rain or shine, all is mine. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot believe that if there were satellites that could control the weather, that they wouldn't already be using them to control the weather. (laughs) Like the government wouldn't be like, what is that, a hurricane? Not anymore. And that, you know, they would stop it, you know, prevent like tight, well, maybe not, you know, like tidal waves, but certainly other destructive forms of weather instead of just Let like... the rebels begin! Well, and and as, as bad as this movie is, and as much as the, the humor doesn't work, and I don't blame anything on Richard Pryor because, I mean, it's he, a he's doing what they wanted him to do. Like, yes. This is, he's... You know, He's he fine. thought the script his, was terrible. His script's terrible. But they gave him five million dollars or something like that. Yeah. He admits he just did it for the money. I don't think, think any actor is particularly bad in the film. Their script is just terrible. No, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I think the you know the Annette O'Toole stuff, which yes. you know basically is the basis of Smallville for all intents and purposes. That stuff works on its own. She's I mean, it's great. it's she's one it's of the, the highlights. Oh yeah, she's, she's, she's by like I almost always smile when Lana Lang is on the screen. Yeah, I just when, when I when I see her in the movie, I think, why is Superman even interested in Lois Lane? Because Lana is so much nicer, and she's she's prettier. I don't know, like those are two major bonuses well, and her, to me. I her think. and uh, Reeve have much more chemistry. I feel than Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve. Like I. I, I agree. I, don't I absolutely like, agree. It's it's weird, well, but I, I feel I could see why someone would fall for Lana Lang. Lois is like, well, I don't know. Well, I think Lois Lane, you know, the idea was that she was somewhat of a match for Superman. She had no interest in Clark. She was into Superman. But Lana Lang was somebody that would make a good partner for Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, I can learn to love Superman. You know, it's sort of the, you know, to use a, a recent example, you know, the Daredevil thing. You know, Electra's probably better for Daredevil, but Karen Page is probably better for Matt Murdock. Right. Mm, that is, a, yeah, yeah. I be, and she's never really a damsel in distress in the movie either. No, which is nice. No. Which is very nice. Part where she's on a subway train and the power goes out, but about, it's not really yeah. a big situation. Well, and, you know, her son is very briefly in danger. That's just because he, you know, hurts his leg in the middle of an oncoming combine or whatever. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, there, you know, the, the, the scene that in the first act, there is one great action scene in this picture, which is, of course, when he puts out the giant chemical fire. 
But why why did they bring Jimmy Olsen along only to sideline him right there? That's I, I, I wonder why. Because couldn't they have done that with Lois and that's how she was out of the movie? I mean, that would have that would have been better. That would have been a lot better. They make or a big deal or not have Jimmy in it at all. It, it could have just been. Clark just like it doesn't have to be a stupid story. It's just like Clark's like, all right, well, I'm going back to Smallville for my reunion. Isn't that yeah. the, no one in Metropolis is going to give a damn what small town life is like? They don't care. They live in Metropolis. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be they, fair, if they care about small towns. They wouldn't have moved 80, to Metropolis. Yeah. Which you know, people bought the newspaper because it was a newspaper, and they read whatever was in it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, well, you had certain editorial freedoms, assuming you had subscribers. I mean, yeah, just, but, if you but, think about um, how much you read on the internet in a given day, you were just, I mean, switch that to a paper. You read the whole paper because that's yeah. what, what you had. I, I just don't know, like, you know, it's a big city. Uh, I, I assume that most people, you know, they leave a small town to go to the big city. Why do they want to read about something they were trying to get away from? I don't. I don't know why Perry would say, you're right, that's what people want to read about. They want to read about a place they've never been and have no interest in ever going. Because it, the got, story, it got Clark to Smallville, and Smallville <sighs> probably meant lower budget. Yeah, I, yeah, probably. Yeah. And away from Lois. <laughs> yeah. Like, in the, in the whole thing about the chemical plant, first of all, it's silly that Clark and Jimmy are on a bus to to Kansas because they you know they got to be like on the east coast. How long is that bus ride? <laughs> First of all, can't the planet spring for a ticket? That's ridiculous. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, they cannot. But like, it, it could have just been like they they go to Smallville and there's a chemical plant that's on fire there for some reason. That would have been fine. That would have been better maybe not good but at least better and you don't even have to have jimmy or lois in it at all just it just would have cut more fat and just made the movie maybe not good but at least less dumb well i think the reason they don't fly is and then then the filmmakers don't have to pay for a a plane set if they take a bus you can just shoot in a bus right (laughs) yeah they don't have to shoot you know they're on the bus for you know what a minute and then it's like all right get off the bus we rented it for two hours and they also oh. they kill off Ma Kent in an offhand line as well. They do? Yeah. They mention that she's dead. I thought she yeah. died in part four. No, she's fair enough. She, they mentioned it in three because he never visits his mom and mm, yeah, huh? For no reason. I mean, <laughs> I watched it and I missed that. Interesting. It's a very offhand line, but yeah, they 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 kill her off there. I I do like his relationship with the bully. That's kind of some fun stuff. The way I think Reeves. Oh, her, her ex-husband. Well, no, it's not her ex-husband. He's no. just the only single guy left. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. Well, I thought they were married and he was the father of her kid. No, no. no. He's just exactly. Some... <laughs> that, that's what's <laughs> so weird. They, well, they, they, they just... really, you're right. They don't come out and say any of that stuff. You're supposed to sort of infer it. Well, no, the, um, sh- they do talk about. She says uh... he thinks that since, uh, you know, he's God's gift to man and I'm the only single woman in town, we just have to be together or something like that. Fair yeah. enough. Like the. Uh, her ex is actually like, he's not in the movie. There's a picture of him like on the stage because they were high school sweethearts and they're like king, you know, prom queen and king yeah. or whatever. But the, uh, Brad, the guy that keeps hounding her, that they, they, as far as we know, they never even dated. 
This guy just thinks he deserves her. The guy who also works at the wheat plant, which you have to, which is a key to get into, to uh, unlock the weather machine. Yeah. On the computer. Because they have to the, go the to Smallville a Smallville sp- wheat plant. <laughs> I've run out of Sean Connery quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I could look them up. <laughs> it's all right. You don't have to. I'll, I'll repeat. You'll buy your weather from me. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been... Hundreds of millions been... will die. They'll drown and burn. Uh, yeah, I guess that is interesting <laughs> that the the villain of the movie, he doesn't use the satellite that can control the weather to hold the world hostage. He uses it to <laughs> manipulate the market to make money instead. Like, he for still tea, wants to earn for the it. coffee. He wants to make coffee. Yeah, yeah. he's still... He still wants to earn the money. He just wants to do it in a nefarious way. Well, which is somewhat more realistic. Um, a little more realistic, because at least then, if they if they hack into the computer, it's like, well, who did this? You know, he can get away with it. But if you hold the world hostage, it's like, all right, well, it was clearly Ross Weber that did this. Coffee type. Well, at least it's not real estate, right? That, that is, is true. One, that's one thing I am glad about with this movie. Is not a real estate scheme like in the first two movies, <laughs> or like in Superman Returns, where it's another real estate scheme. Like, really? Come on, guys. This, this the movies we are discussing today, I must mention, are like not continuity anymore, right? Because Superman Returns says, "Hey, I'm better than you two. <laughs> no, I don't think you know. Technically, is Superman two even continuity? Yes. With Superman Returns? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, then that creates a problem. Because yeah, the, the Lois Lane they, did Superman rape me. Exactly. Because they had <laughs> sex, presumably had a kid, and then he does the whole you know kiss her and make her forget her memory thing, and then disappears for five years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. She would think like, where did <clears throat> this baby come from? Exactly. Yeah. But 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 who knows when he left? Maybe it was maybe it wasn't immediately after that. Maybe they boned again. We don't know. Well, the implication of Superman 2 is they absolutely would not. Speaking mm. of boning, Superman sleeps with uh, Lorelai, the the blonde uh, yes. assistant, girlfriend, or whatever, of, <coughs> of uh, Ross Webster in a weird uh, plot, in a yeah. very uncomfortable scene in a PG yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that he just shows up, and it looks like this is the... They, they've seen each other twice. And both times it looks like she's about to blow him, but at least, but at least the first time it doesn't look like it's forced. Well, don't let me keep you from anything. I'm not in a rush. What did you have in mind? Lots of things. Oh yeah. <gasps> Just do me one little favor first. What's that? Well, see, there's this little boat, and it's not going where it's supposed to go. This looks like he's going to grab her by the back of the head and just make it happen. Ski. 
pain? Yeah, it's disturbing. <laughs> and then later on, when she mentions something about Superman, he's all like, eh, I don't know you. <laughs> that was like, well, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. <laughs> like all heroes do. <laughs> yeah. Lady, you got the wrong guy. But he's he's so unheroic in that moment, I thought I was watching a Zack Snyder movie. Oh, <laughs> burn. Yeah, pretty but, much. Here's, Here's the thing. When he lands in the Grand Canyon, which is a great place to install a computer, but we can get to that in a moment. When he walks in and she goes like, oh, you know, it's Superman. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know who you are. How does Superman know that, um, like, Ross Webster has anything to do with any of this computer stuff at all? Right. Be- because he... He never meets him. He never talks to him at all. Superman's not involved with anything until, like, the movie has to end. <laughs> yeah. When he's, uh, you know, under the influence of of the, you know... Evil uh, the, the, Yeah, exactly. He he goes over to the, the blonde woman. I don't remember what her name is right now. Lorelei. But, you know, and Lorelai, thank you. And he, you know, kind of forces himself on her. Okay, great. That's Ross Webster's place, whatever. Then, when he comes back at the end and says, Lady, I don't know you. If he doesn't know her, how the hell did he know to go to Ross Webster's place in the, in the first place, to, you know, to investigate or, or confront or whatever, like all of the the, the Vulcan crap or whatever? Because he does. He comes back after he's, after he's good Superman and is like, all right, I'm going to come in here and do something. But how the hell would he know to do that if he never remembers Lorelai. Man, that the sequence of events towards the end, there's a lot of... Like, Gus Gorman, he's been involved with trying to kill Superman in this movie up till this point? It's going too far? Like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm here, as... you know, I'll kill Superman, but I'm not gonna kill Superman, right? <laughs> yeah, as, as far as Superman knows, Gus, played by Richard Pryor, has tried to kill him twice as far as he knows. <laughs> he has no idea who he is. This is the guy that gave him the the fake uh, kryptonite, and at the end, you know, he comes riding into the the cave with a supercomputer in it on a donkey. Superman <laughs> should look around and just look around like, why is that general here? Are you here to help? Who are you? The computer, which is Gus Gorman's design, so he's worse than Ross Webster. Ross Webster can just fund everything. Gus Gorman has masterminded. This stuff he's hacked into the weather satellite. He had the idea to do all this stuff, and at the end of the movie, Superman saves him and tries to get him a job. Like, I, I understand he had the change of heart at the end, but you, dude, you still did damage. Yeah, he should still do time <laughs> you should for be his crimes. Him to jail. <laughs> yeah, the, the man caused a natural disaster. Yeah. Okay. Well, and he also gave Superman the red kryptonite, which caused him to delay getting to that one car accident before a car went over a bridge. And create an oil spill. That too, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like Superman may have done those bad things, but it was under the influence of the kryptonite that was given to him by the guy that he saved and tried to get a job. Yeah. Just... And that is, that is felony murder. It is committing a felony that would logically either A... You commit a murder while committing a felony, or in this case, it's, it's second degree murder. Second degree murder, which you commit a felony that logically could have resulted in death. And in that case, making Superman into a bastard would logically result in somebody getting hurt. But Superman's got like ah, it's no hard feelings. It's cool. Pretty much. And we they all just go, flies eh. off. I did appreciate on the recent episode of Supergirl that they had the homage with the uh, flicking the peanuts at the bottles. 
What a terrific episode, by the way. It, it's the best one. I think it's the best of the series so far. Personally. Yeah. Uh, but I really they have appreciate... been on a roll since they came back. Oh, yeah. Ever since the winter break, break. it's been great. Yeah. But it's, it's funny that as much as a bad movie Superman 3 is, when I see an homage done like that, I kind of, like, you know, have this, ah, kind of, like, warm, nostalgic feeling about yeah. paying tribute to it in such a tasteful way. It was... Well, it's a funny scene. Yeah. You know, as, as bad as the movie is, there is inherent humor in watching grouchy Superman drunk, you know, being just a schmuck. Yeah. And just like, you know, say what you will about Spider-Man 3, but isolated from everything else, it's funny watching Peter Parker be a douche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say, like, the Spider-Man 3 stuff, like, a lot of people knock that, but, like, it's supposed to be all right because that's what Peter Parker thinks is cool, and it's still yeah, exactly. not. It's still not. Yeah. Like, that's how big so of a he, dork he is. Even when he's cool, so he looks, he's still a He looks uh, pretty snazzy. Yeah. Yeah, sure does. But you were speaking about, like, things that kind of uh, make you go, ah, like when uh, bad Superman was fighting against Clark. And up to this point in the movie, I don't think we've heard the Superman theme. We've kind of heard, like, kind of tweaked, bastardized versions of it. But for the most part, it really hasn't been in there. And then after, uh, spoilers, after Clark beats the bad Superman, like, he opens up his shirt and the Superman theme swells up. And I thought, uh, like, I instantly, like, smiled. I was like, okay, I like what's happening now. (laughs) Oh, and note, bad Superman's color scheme is the same as, like, Singer's in Superman Returns. (laughs) Yeah. Let's... Let's uh, make sure we don't miss this, but um, who else was traumatized as a child when uh, Ross Webster's uh, sister uh, became uh, a cyborg killer thing <laughs> in the machine? Yeah, that was pretty scary when I was three years old. Yeah. Yeah. What? Wow. It and it just going uh, off the rails. It's just <laughs> like like they just they just, like the movie isn't ridiculous enough. Let's make it more ridiculous. Well, it's the only moment where there's actual genuine action specific tension. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, and it works. I mean, again, it's 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 there's no actual damage. Nobody dies in in that sequence. Um, but yeah, when I was three, even years though there's a cave in, no one dies. Yeah. yeah. But yes, that that did scare the crap out of me when I was three or four years old. Not enough to make me not watch it again, but right. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's it you know it it frankly is a bad movie that is a hodgepodge of various ideas that don't work. And it has little to no, frankly, little to no redeeming value. Right. It, it's other, it's other extremely than some, long. Yeah. It's two hours and five minutes. And there's a TV version that's two hours and 20 minutes. Oh, my, oh my God. I can't believe they put more into the movie. There's already so much that doesn't need to be in there. Like, if you cut out all of the comedy stuff, how much time would that save? I don't, it's not going to fix the movie, but, man, that would make it better. I think you that is the thing... Everything at the Daily Planet, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Cut, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of Richard Pryor's scenes. You can yeah. cut out a couple subplots. I mean, it's... And Superman isn't involved in any of this until, like, the very end. Yes. Yeah. Like, even when the uh, Superman is uh, saving Columbia from all the bad weather caused by the Vulcan satellite... He doesn't it's know it's just, that. Well, it... it, it yeah. It's um, it's just Richard Pryor telling uh, Ross Webster and the audience what he did. Like, can't like we see you know like little brief pieces of it, but 
why can't we see Superman going there and saving all these people? Right. I mean, I guess, it was, I guess again, it's just to save money, but it just sucks, man. That's, a, that's supposed to be the end game villain plot, but no, we ditch that and go for a supercomputer. And the one good thing that could have come from this movie, Lana Lang gets dumped already after this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we have her at the end working at the Daily Planet, like, haha, Lois. Take that, Kidder. We've got your replacement. Which Kidder looked terrible in this movie. I mean, she was going, so, she was having problems and stuff. But you, it's you could tell. I mean, you could see in the reshoots from Superman two as well. But she had a rough, rough go of it in the eighties. And yeah, in nineties to see her. Yeah, in yeah, the 90s. yeah. And she managed to up that level of not deformity. That's the wrong word. But her downward slide only increased in Superman four. But we can get we we'll get to that yeah. when we get to Superman four. But oh my god. Yeah, I just feel uh, bad, but yeah, but. But, but you're but you're right. Like the, the 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 main plot should have been him controlling weather with the uh, the satellite, even if it was you know just to make more money or whatever. And then there's just that supercomputer smacked on at the end. It's just so, so scatterbrained. Yeah. It, it that a someone that does not know how to use computers, but is apparently a computer genius, designed on. What cigarette cases and bar napkins? Yeah, <laughs> he just basically how, designed how, what the outside looked like, not the inner workings. Yeah. By the way, uh, something that is huge. By the way, that fills up an entire enormous cave. That construction workers didn't question. Why are we going out here to the desert <laughs> to build this? Will you compartmentalize information? Yes. Ah, that okay, sure. <laughs> This computer is so big that they have to fly the parts out to the Grand Canyon <laughs> to get it in there. It's huge. And also, you know what? Uh, computers aren't um, the environment they don't thrive in. Heat and and musty caves. So let's put an enormous computer in the desert in a cave. It was like Ross Webster was at, you know, like, I, I'm going to do it. I'm finally going to live my dream of becoming a Bond villain. Stage one. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. He, he's a Bond villain that has no knowledge of computers. He just lets the little people do that. He was working on getting a tram built in there just to randomly run around and go places. <laughs> well, he had the henchmen. You know, we saw all, all the guys, you know, getting the parts and taking it in there. So he already had the henchmen. Right. Where is the woman? Give it up. You'll never find her. If you will not tell me, I will hurt people. Now moving on, we'll go to Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. This one was directed by Sidney J. Fury, re returning us back to the original cast with Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Margot Kidder, Mark McClure, and it brings in Mariel Hemingway, John Cryer, and Mark Pillow. In this film, Superman decides to disarm the Earth of nuclear weapons while the Daily Planet is taken over, and Lex Luthor creates a nuclear man with his nephew. Also noteworthy that this film was done by Canon Films, and away from Warner Brothers and the Salkine family who had sold the rights away, which then Warner Brothers bought this film back. <laughs> afterwards. The movie was originally budgeted at $36 million, but it ended up only being 17 as uh, Capera movies from Canon Films, uh, Masters of the Universe, and Over the Top were taken from the budget of this movie. So the more those needed, the more Superman started to come down so this was a problem production didn't get enough money to make and you can see it in the film i can't believe a movie about arm wrestling took priority 
Stallone's over a paycheck Superman was massive. Movie. Stallone's paycheck <sighs> was massive. And this is part, I mean, Superman, I think they claim that over the top, Superman 4 and Bastards of the Universe are what tank cannon films. That yeah, because they were from. three huge flops. And, there was and they were three films that were canon very much trying to make what arguably were major studio pictures. Yep, they were trying to and failing. Yeah. So there was another film that a director quit because the film wasn't finished. It was like some center of the earth thing, and he quit because they wouldn't let him like finish stuff. And they ended up like releasing the film without insert. It's just a mess. I can't remember what it was, but they they go over it on the canon documentary. But this film, yeah, it was supposed to be much better than it was, and it has traces of being that it just it couldn't execute properly and i don't know if that's you can put blame on anyone but uh golan and globus for that i mean I don't. yeah it, it, it's it's clear it had to be it had to be them it's not the people it's not the director it's not the writers it's not the actors it, well, it has to be the producers that is true but also you know at the end of the day the film's what 90 minutes long and there's a lot of stuff that's either a extraneous or b just isn't totally correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, really, well, the only they, stuff that works about this movie is the stuff with the young child, the climactic fight with between Superman and Nuclear Man, just because it's, you know, a fight scene. It's fine, whatever. Yeah. And some of the switcheroo slamming doors farce between Lois Lane, Clark Kent, Superman, and... Uh, Mariel Hemingway. Mariel yeah. Hemingway, yes. Uh, yeah, um, it's a very screwball yeah. comedy-ish with it. And it, um, it feels like super, Superman of the like 40s and 50s with that. Yes. See, um, to, to me, that felt like Superman 3 again, because it's comedy that isn't funny. And yes. it's just a whole scene of, why is this in here? And, it, and, it, and it's capped with Lex Luthor somehow knowing where Superman is. Does he have his itinerary? How the hell does he know that Superman's on a double date? Because he shows up on that uh, that screen outside Mariel Hemingway's uh, apartment. I'm assuming it's her apartment. Anyway, he looks up. He looks out there. It's like, hey, Superman, it's me, Lex Luthor. Only you can see me. Anyway, look to your left. How the hell does he know that the building's to his left? Because he's Lex Luthor. He's the greatest criminal mastermind of our time. He has tracking equipment on Superman somehow. Um, and, you know, the other, you know, obviously John Cryer's character is a very desperate demographic pitch mm, yeah. to the oh, quote, yeah. quote, quote, kids of the 80s. It doesn't work. We, uh, um, we, uh, it, it's, um, it's Ducky meets Superman. Yes, John yeah. Cryer gave us Ducky and <laughs> Lenny Luther. Like, oh my gosh. Thanks a lot, yeah, John Cryer. If you thought Ducky was irritating, John Cryer said, hang on, I know how to make it worse. And then <laughs> then gave us two and a half men for an encore <laughs> later on. But um, <laughs> history's and, monster. <laughs> and, you know, there's this ridiculous scene at the end, of course, where nuclear man kidnaps, uh, you know, Mariel Hemingway and takes her into space. Well, or she does not freeze to death instantly. Well, you know yeah. what happened? Those scenes were in the sky, and later on, in post-production, they changed it to space. I didn't know that. They And they had to do a reshoot <clears throat> of Superman bringing her down from space because they decided to change their mind. And, like, those scenes were meant to be in the sky and not in space, and they made a last-minute decision 
to put them in space, which becomes ludicrous. If it was in the sky, that would have been fine. It would have been hard for her to breathe, but at least there would have been air. Because yeah. it, it's not... <laughs> It's not yeah. even like that they're so far above the Earth that, like, all right, you can start to see space. There's still some air. It's super thin, but there's something there. No, they are miles away from the Earth. Yes. It's like they're halfway to the damn moon somehow, but she's still alive. She didn't instantly freeze and implode. Right, and um, it's just, there's so much ridiculously, and Superman also has the power to build the Great Wall of China by breathing on it? Yeah. He, did, he didn't even do that. He just looked at it. <laughs> oh, no, his did. eyes. It was his eyes, yeah. He just did, yes, he yeah. has stone vision uh, or something, his constructo eyes. Yeah, the, the original Superman films always gave him, each movie has some sort of power that you're like, no, no, yeah. no. Yeah, it's like he's the most powerful being on Earth. Do we need to give him more superpowers? He's Superman. It's in his damn name. You don't need to add more stuff to it. And it you know, the the film is 90 minutes. The original cut was 135. And it was cut to pieces after test screenings because it just wasn't working. And there's, you know, as I'm sure you know, there's actually two nuclear men in this film. There's an entire subplot that's cut to, you know, removed. The first monster that Lex Luthor creates. And because of that stuff being cut, the film ends up being a lot less about what is interesting about the film, which is basically a feature from, you know, play on does the world need a Superman? You know, those themes and those ideas. The idea of, you know, to what extent should Superman play a role in world affairs? Yeah, it, like it answers that yeah. question that some people are like, why can't Superman just end wars? Like, well, yeah. it's not that easy. And that's you know one of the reasons I mean this is not a good film, it's not a it's it's barely a watchable film, but it has interesting <laughs> ideas, and it's a shame that it's it's so cheap, it's so compromised, and that you know the the, the campier aspects get in the way. Mm-hmm. You know it is it is an interesting story, poorly told. You know I do have a weird soft spot for it because of the moments of genuine sincerity where it. You know, it wants to flirt with these very real questions, which is why Christopher Reeve wanted to make the movie. Right. I mean, yeah. he co-wrote the screenplay. He gave up um, Superman after that was more... he refused. He said he was retired, and with the control he got, he, <laughs> he was able to not only get himself you know involved and tell the story. He got everybody else from the cast to come back from the originals. Yeah, and the interesting thing is they cut so much footage out of the movie that they actually thought they were going to use some of the extra footage for a fifth film. Right. Yes. Oh, God. And you theoretically could, because, you know, the, the monster that shows up in the early goings is not remotely referenced in any way, shape, or form in the finished product. Which is unfortunate, because I, I kind of like that Lex Luthor made a first attempt, and it didn't end up working. It's kind of like, it's a bit like Frankenstein, a, a little bit, where yeah. it's, it's, it's got the mind of a child, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it, I mean, it is unfortunately like a knockoff Bizarro which kind of irritates me because it they should have just had Bizarro. Yeah, it, it um they they should have, should have had Bizarro. That would have been so much better because they would have used another character from the comics because yeah. you know, um Superman 3 sure as hell didn't use anyone from the comics and the only person from the comics any only villain is uh Lex Luthor. That's the only like 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 Luthor and Zod are the only comic book characters that have been used any of the villains that have been used in any of these movies. That's so stupid because 
there's decades and decades worth of villains that he could fight. And they just like, no, no, we'll, we'll figure it out. You have to wonder how these films will be perceived, you know, now, if you had Superman 1 with Lex Luthor, Superman 2 with Zod, Superman 3 with Brainiac, and then Superman 4 with Bizarro. Yeah. At least would... there, you'd have four films with four relatively big comic book villains. Those are really the, the big four, other than maybe Darkseid, yeah. um, which yeah. you know, would have been and impossible that... back then. Yeah, that involves a whole like other planet and all that yeah. stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Like otherwise, who are, you didn't have what Toy Man? Like, mm, no, thank you. We'd much hey, rather have this, you know, maybe like Parasite. I don't know if Parasite yeah, was around Parasite. back then. Yeah, Parasite and Toy Man are really the only other ones offhand. Yeah, um, like, but... like, like Metallo and stuff. But I don't know when these those characters were around. So I don't know if they were available. But Bizarro certainly was, and Brainiac definitely was. Was. Metallo introduced in post-crisis in the John Bryan stuff. Because I know that, he's like in the he's like in the first post man, you know, man of Steel, the first one after that miniseries. Yeah, I'm, like I said, I don't know, I am not uh, sure when he came around. Which you know would have been right before this film anyway. But mm. no, so again, you you have four Superman films, three of which have Lex Luthor, one of whom has some guy in a suit. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, s- speaking of suits. Uh, why does Lois demand the dress like a man in this movie? Like almost every scene she's in, she's like wearing like a tie and like like a like a huge suit. Like th- was it just that like well we don't have any clothes to make her look nice? Just see what you got in the back and throw it on her because she already looks you know like I, I said earlier just uh, her physical appearance has just gone downhill and it's not like women need to be beautiful all the time or anything like that. But it's just such a drastic change from the first one. Well, it's probably like, like, a lot of the styling. I mean, the 80s at that time, <coughs> I mean, starting before that, but during that time was like the woman, you know, in the workplace, that whole movement or whatever, and like figuring out styles and stuff like that for them. So maybe it was just at a time where they were trying out new stuff that just, you know, obviously doesn't work. Styling, like, I think oh, she looks like, fine in the movie. <laughs> I've never had I, an issue with that. She, she if, looks and sounds like all she does is smoke, and it's really unfortunate. One thing I do like about this film is it has one neat image that I, you know, you you really don't see anywhere else, which is Superman in his costume wearing the Clark Kent glasses. Yeah, during the moment where he tells Lois and then makes her forget instantly. Which yeah, why was that even there? Yeah, yeah. If you want to cut something out, cut that out. Yeah, put more stuff with the kid in because that would have made that would have helped it a bit because as it is now, it's the kid says, you know, I think Superman should end war and stop, get rid of all the nuclear weapons. And then he writes a letter to the Daily Planet and then the kids in Metropolis, yeah. like uh, directly in those scenes. Whereas like the, the, uh, the deleted scene actually shows Superman going to the kid and so like, no, I can't do this. What right do I have to do this? I don't want to get involved in you know, these political uh, events. I don't have any right to do that, to force my will on people. And that would have helped so much with the kid, and it would have helped with the movie overall. It's not action and people punching things, which when you're <coughs> cutting, a, cutting a movie just to release it, that's what it's going to boil down to. Which You know, it's canon films. They're, uh, they were coming to their last legs, and this movie wasn't working like they wanted. I mean, in a movie where they have the same shot of Superman flying at the screen like three times within the first three seconds. 
third, our I three counted, minutes of the film, I mean, geez. I counted, I counted how many times this effect was used, because, you know, the special effects in this thing are... The repro- rear la- projection is like 1960s. Yeah. Like, it, I, it's, it's probably better than 1960s. Yeah. <laughs> it's calling them laughable as being kind, I would say, but every time that Superman, like, flies at the screen, it's the same uh, shot. Yeah. And it, it's used eight times in this movie. It's only an hour and a half, and it's used eight times. And, and uh, Neutron Man gets this, the same shot too. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how many times that's used, but it, it is multiple times. And like, like, oh like the, the the scene where like they're both falling off the top of the Metropolis State Building or whatever it's called, they fall at such goofball angles. It's like someone just like took like an animation cell and just like pulled it across the film. Like, all right, they're, they're done. They're done falling now. Well, and they do have like, there's still moments with like with the Superman cape falling off of him and floating down mm-hmm. in a better movie. That's awesome. I mean, it looks good in this. And <laughs> I like the, the Superman, we get to see him like injured, hurt at home recovering, but it's done yeah. poorly and not a good performance well, by Reeve during it either. It, it goes f- from him being look, looking like he has a cold to the next time we see him looking like he's on his like he's falling apart like on his deathbed. It's like whoa, that is a huge, you know, leap from one to the other. Yeah. And, and we only see him like almost like a, at death's door for a moment. Where there were more scenes with that, and like again, that would have helped the story a lot. Well, I, and one of the things I do like about the picture, comparatively, is is you know, it, compared to you know Superman three, it is a drama. You know, it does have drama. It does have characters that mm-hmm. take the situation seriously. You know, you can say what you will about the "I'm injured at home" scene, but it's a dramatic scene that works between mm-hmm. two major characters. Yeah. And yeah, it's silly that Lois doesn't know his identity anymore. So there's that tomfoolery. But yeah, an- another super kiss. One of the yeah. biggest complaints oh. that people have about you know these movies. And they I, did it I like twice. I like the scene where he goes back to his mom's house. Yeah, I love the opening. Yeah, the opening's really good. It's like, it feels like it's from a better movie. (laughs) Yes. Like like him, like, saving the cosmonauts. It's... uh, Sorry. You know, him him being able to talk in space and all that stuff. Like, uh, all right, well, mistakes were made. But at least there's an attempt to show that Superman doesn't care what country you're from. You're a person, so he cares about you and wants to help. And I think that was a nice thing that they tried to do again that's the movie does it tries to do nice things yeah that's you know frankly i mean i it's a it's a botch it's a travesty of results but i admire its intentions which makes it all the more tragic you know i would love to see you know if if all we're going to see out of these dc animated movies are batman or superman movies i would love to see something like (coughs) you know this movie redone in animated form but done well. Right. Um, just like I would love to see, you know, my, my dream DC animated film is the Tom Mankiewicz script that he wrote for Batman in 1983-84, which was basically, you know, Bat- Batman done in the style of Superman the movie with the 1970s Cape Crusader era with Joker and Penguin and Rupert Thorne and, uh, you know, Silver McCloud and stuff like that. 
That'd be great. That um, would, yeah, start doing the what ifs with the scripts, like uh, Batman Triumphant. There's scripts for that. Yeah. Around. Do oh, that wow. One. That would be amazing. Do the Aronofsky script. Like, start doing yeah. these what if stuffs. Or maybe make a comic book off of them, even. Yeah, that would be that would be cheaper and easier. I mean, they did yeah, that that with be... the original uh, script for Star Wars. They made a miniseries uh, yeah. based off the Lucas' original script. Like, yeah, I would love to see those over just adaptations of stuff we know just come to um, life a little bit. But and, yeah. and the irony is, and you know, by the time this comes out, I assume Dawn of Justice will have been released. There is a little bit of the ideas that this film was trying to bring up in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. But, frankly, it's steamrolled by the, let's give the spotlight to Batman stuff, but whatever. And it, it's frustrating because, you know, when I saw the previews for Batman v Superman, among many other things, I thought, oh, maybe, just maybe, we'll get the halfway decent Quest for Peace movie that I've always wanted. But that was not to be. But, no, I, I, I think it's a shame because this film was very much ahead of its time in using the comic book superhero movie to deal with real-world issues. And we didn't get another one of those till what, X-Men? Maybe? Yeah, I think you're right. So, you know, in that sense, you know, Superman Quest for Peace was sort of a trendsetter. You know, it was a way ahead of its time. <laughs> Which makes it even sadder. Yeah. Yes. Um, but oh well. This movie is kind of like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. It's well-intentioned, but ultimately deadly. It's well-intentioned, but eventually you have to shoot it in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> Now here's the moment of truth. Normally at this point in the podcast we rate the film, but since we're sparring off two films against each other today, we choose. So, Scott Mendelson, which do you prefer, Superman 3 or Superman 4, The Quest for Peace? Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. It's, oh, yeah, it's an easy choice. One tries and fails, the other one fails to try. <laughs> um, and that's, that's basically, you know, it's it's... It's by you know, it's more entertaining by a little bit. It has interesting ideas. It has a few moments that I genuinely like and appreciate from a dramatic point of view. You know, Superman three I think has almost almost nothing to offer other than you know a few nice scenes with an Edo tool. I like the factory fire scene and the evil Superman stuff is okay for nostalgic you know camp value. But other than that, there's nothing in that movie. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of space. Cullen, uh, I've always very much felt that Superman four is a, a dumpster fire, but it is also a, a dumpster fire that you just can't look away from it. Uh, when it, I, I have a friend that, you know, we used to, used to live together. Now we, you know, live, uh, not really close to each other. And almost every time we get together, we walk, we <laughs> talk about watching Superman four just to watch how much they screwed up. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, fantastic how, how screwed up that movie is but uh, superman 3 you can't even do that because it just it just sucks it's, it's plain and simple it's it, it's bad it, there, there's nothing there, there are few things redeemable about it it's it, it was only like watching these thing these two movies kind of back to back where i realized like man at least they tried with superman 4 superman <laughs> superman 3 is one of the the worst things that you can do is make try to do a comedy that isn't funny, and that's what Superman three is. It's just full of jokes that just none of them land. I don't think I laughed once. If I did, 
I must have been thinking about something else. So I'm going to have to say that Superman 4 is better than Superman 3, despite all its gaping flaws. But that is really due to the, the hack job on the editing. And it's it's that's really the, the, the biggest uh, the fault, unfortunately, for Superman 4. But it's still a better at least a better intention movie, but it is definitely a better movie because it tried. What about you, Brandon? What do you what do you pick for a better movie here? Well, it's going to be uh, three to nothing. Superman four, the quest for peace. <laughs> Superman three is a better funded film, and I guess a better, technically speaking, made film. But that's about the end of where it stays. Anything you like about the film isn't worth latching on to Superman four. I've always, if you're a person who just, uh, the, the effects bother you the whole time. Okay, whatever, but they shouldn't be too much of a deal breaker. I'm not saying it's a good movie. It's, it's badly made, but it, it has an idea. It has, it has things that Superman three doesn't even care about. It's got an idea. It's got a plot. It's got a focus. And you know, it, it wants to, to be something it just no matter how hard it tries it can't do it here's here's a huge contributing factor in me picking four over three 90 minutes <laughs> 90 minutes that'll win you in the crap movie fest every time and yeah i just i like a lot of what superman 4 wants to be it gives me i have a soft spot for a lot of what it wants to be i have none of that for superman 3 i just i never liked that movie it ugh, it just there's just nothing to enjoy yeah drug superman's funny it's always been a funny thing to talk about and you can watch clip of it on youtube of him in the bar but there's nothing else i like an edo tool in there but it's i don't that's great, but it's not worth going. Oh man, you gotta see Superman three because Annette O'Toole is <laughs> this single mom during these scenes <laughs> where you know, like that's not selling Superman three. Yeah. A single modern mom in a movie. I'm there. She's a single mom, and then you know, bad Superman tries to creep up on her, and yeah, it's it's just bad, and stuff just it's so random occurrences of bad things happening in that movie. Nothing focused at all. It's blah. And Superman 4, I guess, is the garbage that if I was starving, I'd eat from. I don't know <laughs> how to explain it. But, yeah, I, I pick Superman 4 easily, like, much easily. And like like Scott said, there it's no point in Superman 3 at all. Erase it from existence. So I was going to say, you know, what's really unfortunate is the movie that should have been two hours was Superman 4. And the movie that should have been an hour and a half was Superman 3. Superman three should have been a forty-five minute <laughs> parody <laughs> parody comedy special on television from Richard Pryor. Like that's oh, but yeah. So in the battle of Superman three versus Superman four, Cult Cinema Cavalcade unanimously decides Superman four: The Quest for Peace is not the worst Superman movie ever made. By default. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing BMX Bandits, starring Nicole Kidman from 1983. I'm hoping everyone in this movie talks like Mad Max, like the first one. <laughs> All right, mate. You gotta save a Max! Our episode has come to an end. Thank you for sticking with us. 
I want to thank our guest, Scott Mendelson, for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have you here. I, I have to say, without you, there probably wouldn't be a Cult Cinema Cavalcade. I appreciate Aww. it. You're saying it's my fault. Uh, you, 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 uh, <laughs> you, pay, you paved, uh, you began uh, paving the path to where this came, this came from, so. No, no, I, I know. It's been three, almost three years. Gosh, wow. Well, no, it's been, I mean, I asked you to start contributing to my personal blog in around, August of 2012, and then I got the Forbes thing on April 2013, and then you started Naptown Nerd like the next day. Yeah, it was it was instant. And I think I told you early, just because I told you before I told anybody else, just because I wanted to let you know what was going on. And I'm still very appreciative that you kept me a flowing and decent content, you know, during a period where I was very busy with other stuff. Oh, you got me uh, off my ass to finally do that stuff, which I was always telling myself that I was going to do. So Yeah. You cracked but, the whip. Uh, <laughs> Where's my retrospective? <laughs> you gave me a lot more than I was expecting. And, uh, yeah, so that's uh, BVS opens tomorrow at 6 o'clock, which well, means it, people it, can see it and be home in time for bedtime. When this posts, uh, it'll already be open. And, um, yep. You can read Scott's review up on Forbes and his box office analysis from the uh, weekend, uh, usually Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday piece. Multiple yep. pieces on Sunday. Uh, well, the yeah. Hold- but- holdovers in the new ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part thing. And then a presumably a Monday piece of what went right or what went wrong. We'll see. And uh, you're on Twitter. Uh, at Scott Mendelson. And uh, Facebook is Facebook. You know, Scott Mendelson. We look forward to next time. But first, stay tuned for the trailer for BMX Bandits, the trailer that actually trailed. BMX Bandits. They're wild in the streets in a high-flying ride to adventure. It's thrills and spills, fast and furious fun. It's a real blast. Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. You can find more of Cullen's work on the A Touch of Crafts podcast, also found on the Creative Zombie Studios Network, and on Twitter at my name is Cullen. You can find more of my work on whysoblue.com. My Twitter handle is at BT Peters. Our producer is Brad Shoemaker. Podcast edited by Brandon. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf, found on the freemusicarchive.org website. The movie in today's discussion is property of its retrospective studio and no infringement is intended. Please join us again in two weeks for our next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. You know, it's really sad when you look at it. All the Superman films, including the one that's coming out tomorrow, and you're free to disagree with this when the time comes, there's really only been two good ones. Right. Maybe one, depending on your feelings on part two, which I'm not a huge fan of. Well, they keep making – yeah, it's not – when I went through it all, I'm like, this – I love Superman, 
I love the I, I love the first movie. I like the second one a lot, but I mean, it's not a good franchise in films. Like it's it's weird. You'd think, oh, it's Superman. They just they just made a lot of movies, and like yeah. they keep making the third best Superman movie. That's what they keep uh-huh. making. Like every time they try, it's like, oh, here's the new one. It's now the third best Superman movie. Like I I warmed <laughs> more to Man of Steel on subsequent viewings than my first one, but. Superman Returns, I. It's a movie I'd like to like a lot more, but it's just it. Each time it gets longer. The movie is male entitlement syndrome. The movie, <laughs> and I knew that before I even knew what that was. At the end of the day, really? yeah. we're supposed to. You know, the entire emotional fulcrum of that movie is feel bad for Superman because he left five years for five years without so much as leaving a post-it note, and it's sad because Lewis Lois Lane had the gall to move on with her life. How dare she? It's the most technologically advanced five-year jump from 1980, yeah. <laughs> 81, it was 81 to 1986. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe there was uh, the Brainiac virus that just made Metropolis the city of tomorrow. So that's why everyone has cell phones five years later. When they got like they got Spacey at the wrong time, he needed Lex Luthor more than they needed him. Yes, you're mm. absolutely right. And, you know, I always say, you know, if he had played Lex Luthor as the guy from The Bug's Life, <laughs> it would have been a much better movie. Or if he would have... Because that guy's terrifying. He's... His performance is all over the place. He's got... He's trying to invoke Hackman. He's trying to be, like, over-the-top crazy. It's it's weird. Yeah. I think it would have been better if they would have made him a businessman. Because he'd been... Uh, Lex Luthor had been a businessman <laughs> for decades in the comics. There had been the animated series where he was a businessman. People and Lois and Clark. And Lois and Clark, right. Yeah. So th- those people are familiar with him. People would accept him. And then he's back to being a super criminal. Like, well, that doesn't really fit in with how he's been portrayed for decades. The best, well, thing, that's... The best thing they should have done is reboot. <laughs> was... Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, or at least, you know, not tied it to the the, the daughter films. Yeah. yeah. Not popular. Um, Ratner should have done that film. <coughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, was I, he the one that was scared of flying? What? Was he the one that was afraid of flying and wouldn't fly to Australia? Oh, I don't know. I just remember he was doing that one. <laughs> no, that was McGee. Oh, that was McGee. Yeah. Singer, Singer uh, was doing X-Men 3, and then they basically swapped, <laughs> and we should have had it the original way. Yeah. No, I, I've always hated Superman Returns. I admire that it's different. I admire that it's trying to be a you know somewhat soulful romantic drama, but again, at the end of the day, the entire emotional thing is is false. And I have know, no pity for him. You None. know, it's funny. It's the, the role in which James Marsden is, is at his most likable. Like, there's no, yeah. he's there to be the guy that you're like, ugh, you're in Superman's way. But I liked him more than Superman. Yeah. Hmm. He's actually a very he's a good guy. He goes out to rescue them, like. It's it's weird. Well, I mean, you know, he raises another man's child, and you know, quite well it would seem. Um, but I thought Ralph, no, I mean, Ralph I, was I, a very good. I, I thought he was a good Superman. Like his Clark Kent was great. Yeah. He did a you know he was a, he was a good Christopher Reeve uh, doppelganger. But and the one scene where he doesn't have to be Christopher Reeve is wonderful. Yeah. You know, it's funny they keep casting perfect actors for Superman, but not letting them be Superman. Yeah, I think because Henry Cavill oh. is is great. Yeah, you know, I wonder if they would just 
I don't know. Scriptwriters can't seem to get their head around how to write for Superman. Maybe this need to have uh, someone that writes the comics do it, or someone that's well, written for the, like these other versions for the animated series, or for Lois and Clark. Have them well, to crack at it because the they get it. Problem is that there are people that seem to think that because Superman is super, you know, he's a boring character. He's a boy scout. We need to make him more conflicted. We need to make him darker and grittier. Like, no, if you want to make the world around him darker and grittier, that's fine. But you keep Superman pure and then watch him react to the world around him. I mean, if you're arguing yeah. that, then, then how come Captain America works so well? Well, that's what Captain yeah. America does. Yeah. The idea is that Captain America changes those around him and makes them better by his moral presence. Well, that's what you know. That's what makes me kind of feel for the character that this, there's this character that's trying so hard, always doing his best to do the right thing, and people still don't seem to care. It's just it just breaks my heart to see that kind of stuff. Oh, and you know that that's you know that's how they made Captain America work. You know they put him well they put him in World War Two, which was a time of well also was a time of somewhat black and white morality and that was helpful. But then yeah. they dumped him into, you know, today, which is the very definition of gray morality. But they kept him morally absolute and had him react to that world rather than darkening him so he would, quote unquote, fit in. Um, they didn't turn him into Jason Bourne. No, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's kind of the, the, the all that stuff is built right into Superman. He goes for he's a farm boy from Kansas that goes to the big city. I mean, it's. It's ingrained in the character from the beginning. No, it's it's the the moral crux of Superman is that he you know he has all the power to rule, but he chooses instead to serve. You know that's Superman. That's what makes him amazing. When I um, when yeah. I watched um, the Man of Steel, and you know there, there's the part where oh, he's like in that bar, and they keep like picking on him and like harassing that woman, and I thought like Superman's greatest power is his patience with humanity because these people are just being dicks to him for just no reason other than he's in the room, I guess. And he can't, he could rip them apart like a phone book, but he chooses not to. And I think that's, that's his greatest strength. Well, also the fact that he could theoretically solve, you know, 60% of the world's problems in a week, but chooses not to because he knows it'll cause another 20% of possibly even worse problems. Well, yeah, because then the whole world depends on him. What happens yeah. if something happens to him? Then all the problems come flooding back, and he didn't, you know, he only temporarily fixed things. Um, and that's the tragedy of, of the character, something that Man of Steel touched, or Superman Returns touched on a little bit, something that Lois and Clark touched on quite a bit back, you know, here and there, which is that every, you know, Superman can hear everything going on, and every moment that he's, he's not being Superman, people are dying and being hurt. You know, if he goes to the bathroom, there's a car accident he's not stopping. You know, if he if yeah. he goes out to dinner with Lois Lane, there's a train crash he's not preventing. I mean, that's that's frankly that's a contradiction of the character is that you know, you know he's not Captain America. He can't stop everything. He doesn't have the super strength to run around and stop everything. Um, you know, he has the ability to basically stop 80% of all bad things from happening, and every moment that he's trying to live a normal life, bad things are happening by proxy. To what extent is that his responsibility? And that's the conundrum. Um, the unsolvable conundrum. You know, and that's something that 
really wasn't an issue when the stories came out in 1938 because no one really discussed those stories on that kind of philosophical level. Mm. Um, and maybe that's why the character is so hard to get right in movies. But it doesn't explain why it's so easy to get right on television. Maybe it's because, because you Supergirl, get more time to be with the character. Maybe that's why, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, Supergirl is very, you know, may end up being, you know, the greatest superhero Superman story ever told on television or in the movies for that matter. It's getting to be kind of awesome. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I've been really, oh. really into and, it. And, you know, best Clark Kent, Dean Kane, in a heartbeat. Best Lois Lane, Terry Hatcher. Yep. I'm, I'm a Terry Hatcher, Lois Lane person, yeah. You know, I, I, but I don't get why the character is so hard to get right in a movie where, at the very least, you can, tr- you can tell a grand mythic story. But, and, you know, the problem with the Snyder films is that, you know, for whatever reason, they choose to present a Superman that doesn't want to be a hero. And that's, you know, that, that's basically the conundrum is you have a, a guy that has the ability to save the world without thinking twice, but just wants to live a normal life. Yeah. Um, but those films, I, I feel, aren't, their goal isn't to tell the traditional Superman story. They're trying to give it a, a mo- more modern interpretation of it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get turned off because they're going expecting like the 1950s, you know, like the George Reeves and everything they've seen before with Superman. And this, this one's goal isn't to tell that. And then it, it creates a divisiveness in people because it's not that. Yeah. It's really, yeah. Cause it, <laughs> Me. It's it's just uh, it's different and people are accepting and that's the weird thing with the DC universe it's always it's never they never straight adapt and it's always an interp a strong interpretation by a, a director rather than yeah you know because like you know Batman even they're 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 those directors films yeah. all the way through and you know they they do they take inspirations from things but they're always how that director wants to put it. I mean, they'll go to a well for ideas, but the idea will become a certain, a a certain way or interpretation. Whereas the Marvel films have been strongly rooted in trying to follow not, not straight adapted storylines, but I mean, with character kind of taking that way, they, they, they drive character with the comic book rather than trying to drive character with how a movie would take it. Yes. Um, no, that, that, that's, I agree with you. And that's where the whole, you know, Although, source fidelity versus doing your own thing comes in. I mean, was, was Chris Nolan's Batman explicitly faithful to the source material? No. But it was faithful in spirit to a very strong era of the comic books, which was the post-No Man's Land era of Greg Rucka, Ed Brubaker, and Devin Grayson. Right. Which produced some of the very best comic, Batman comic books you're ever going to read. Also, the most optimistic Batman comic books you're ever going to read, which is something I think the Nolan films don't get enough credit for. You know, that they weren't riffing on Miller. They were riffing on the idea that Batman was as much a symbol of hope as Superman. Although I still don't believe that uh, Green Lantern is very much a Martin Campbell film. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Um, It should have been called Green Lantern. Mistakes were made. (laughs) Green Lantern. Fit into the Iron Man box. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. But the, the, the last... Because I, I haven't read deep into any reviews, but is the last thing we need... I think... Do you think Warner Brothers will stick to their guns? Or do you think they'll freak out? Because it sounds to me like Batman vs. <sighs> Superman is 
a bit of a reactionary film to Man of Steel. Yes. And then they're going to continue to make that's part of its problem. Continue to make their films reactionary rather than just, you know, do your plan. The critics are going to like it or hate it. You, you could be the Transformers of superhero <laughs> films and be okay, where the critics hate you, but the audiences keep coming back. And that would be, you know, I'm actually going to write about that if it does well next week, which is that even that's a tragedy because, you know, the Superman films, the Batman films, they used to be aspirational blockbusters. Yeah. You know, and I, the last thing you want is a DC cinematic universe that makes money despite being terrible. Yeah, you know, that would and, make and, me really super you know, sad. It, right. Like, I've been oh. waiting all my life to see these kind of movies, and if it's just kind of a pant load, that would just be a huge bummer. But the one thing <laughs> people need to take in mind is that, unlike Marvel, it's right now it's going to be... You shouldn't judge whether Suicide Squad's going to be great or not based on Batman vs. Superman because it's going to be more of a David Ayer film. Granted, it yes. comes from the brain trust, but they're allowing David Ayer to make his film, and Wonder Woman should be the same way. Justice yes. League's the one you should be like, well, I didn't care for Batman vs. Superman, so I don't know about Justice League, which is the saddest part of all. Yes. Um, yeah, but I, I think what they will probably do is... <laughs> and again, if it belly flops, then it's a whole different conversation, but then we'll know that on Sunday. Because not only is it opening in America, it's opening in most of the world this week. Um, so we'll know by Sunday what's going on. Um, you know, if it opens, you know, worldwide closer to, you know, frankly, you know, 250, 300 million versus 350, 400 million, then different conversation. But I think what they're just going to do is probably keep Zack Snyder, but get a light, you know, keep everyone on board, but make a lighter, more audience friendly screenplay. That would be better. They're going to do the Batman <laughs> Forever round, frankly. Yeah. Which is well, they don't that... they don't junk what's come before, but they just make a lighter, poppier, more popcorn friendly movie. Right. As long as they don't make it as light. No, as, no, they, uh, they won't. The, 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 the mentality is different these days. Yeah, we don't need neon gangs. That's just not a necessary thing to happen. <laughs> we could have used some neon gangs the other night. <laughs> Ooh. Um, but you know, it's it, it's it's quite possible the film will make a gajillion dollars anyway, just because a the characters involved, b the reviews will point out that it more or less gives you what's being advertised. Yeah. You know, so if you're somebody that that and that's the secret of the Transformers films, <laughs> is, is that even the bad the bad reviews say, hey, you get your money's worth in this film. You get two and a half hours of robots beating the crap out of each other. You know, vulgar, bro-friendly humor, glorious production values, yada, yada, yada. So, See, same thing with me, Spectre. That, may, that makes me think it'll do well overseas. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, that's why, you know, a lot of the critics that were invited to the junket screenings last week were foreign journalists. More so than usual. Because it's opening so big overseas first. And because they know that's where the, you know, the... The die is going to be cast. They love explosions. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where they, they don't have to see subtitles or hear foreign dialogue. So it yeah. makes sense well, that, like, Transformers are top movies over there. And um, I don't know. You know, I, 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 I don't know if the reviews will affect it. They won't help. Yeah. Right. I, I'm, I'm going to see it no matter what. I've been waiting to see Batman versus Superman my entire life. 
Um, I am, I'm not, I'm not dreading it, but there is like a concern within me, but I'm still going to see it anyway. Cause I just, I want to see this movie. Well, and that's, that's the key is that are there, you know, are there enough people that otherwise would have wanted to see it that will be turned off by the negative reviews and stay at home? And you know, that's the million dollar question. Yeah, it was well, the a- thing it has going for it is it has the two most well-known, you know, comic book characters ever. Yeah, you know, and in the Wonder same Woman. movie and Wonder Woman. It has it has the big three of DC in it. You know, so if it, if it, if it was just any other, if it was a Marvel movie that was getting these kind of poor reviews, I don't know if it would have the kind of. Um, People just saying like, "Well, I'll give it a chance anyway," you know. It's just it's yeah, it's weird to see this all start out with like, DC starts theirs with A listers, and you know Marvel started you know with lower lower level guy. It would be the equivalent of DC starting their Justice League with like oh you know Cyborg. like Martian Manhunter and Booster Gold. Yeah, like Green Arrow. Yeah, Green Arrow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what the TV thing did. Yeah, that was their Iron Man. Yeah, which I, I get sick of them. I don't need to hear Zack Snyder bashing the the TV shows I adore watching four nights a week <laughs> mm-hmm. to talk about his movie. Like, I get that you don't want to mix TV and movies. That's fine, but <coughs> people are gonna ask those questions. Just be like, well, they're just separate. Yeah, that's and that's like, fine because DC has always been <laughs> more of the multiverse stuff than than marvel so it just it's fine i mean there's some of that stuff in marvel but i think like dc they really play it up more you know so i, I think what it means it, and what it means gotham doesn't count that's all it means <laughs> uh, that's what that's that's the challenge of myself which is okay this week's flash was better than dawn of justice supergirl was done better than dawn of justice i'm assuming of tomorrow and era will be do i dare watch gotham <laughs> confront the horror. Well, if Gotham gets better, that's that's good news for Gotham. So good for them. 